Hello, everybody. All right, good afternoon. Now, my name is Greg McCormick. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor at Change Point Northeast Anchorage, and I am glad that you have joined us today, as I said earlier, and uh, we're going to take communion after this service is over. And my wife and I, if you've never met us, maybe you've been attending here for a long time, just haven't taken the time to get to know us, I'd, we'd love to meet you after the service. And so why don't you just come up and introduce yourself after the service and after communion and give us an opportunity to shake your hand and welcome you to Change Point Northeast Anchorage personally. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to join me in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin at verse 1 today. I'll be reading out of the ESV Bible, so my version might read a little different than yours, and it will be on the screen as well. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of rivalry. There are some ESV versions that say rivalry, but, um, but then some also say selfish ambition. It's the same. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also on the interest of others. Now I want you to drop down to, to verse 12. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. Title of the sermon today, Working It Out. Working It Out. A few years ago, I was the men's pastor over at the Raspberry Campus for, for quite a few years. Had a chance to meet a bunch of different men. This one man in particular, um, I don't know, God just seemed to knit our hearts together from the time we met. We were in men's fraternity together and and one day he came up to me and he said, he said, Pastor Greg, I need to talk to you about something. And so we made arrangements for him to come in and sit down and talk with me in my office. On the day we met, he came to my office and he was distraught. I could tell that something was wrong. So I asked him what was going on. And he told me that he had made some decisions that put everything that he held dear in jeopardy. His family, his career everything. So then I asked him to tell me his story, and he did, and as he unpacked his story, I could tell that he was a broken man. He really cared about what was going on in his life. And so after he shared his story with me, I shared my story with him. And then we plotted a course together that, that I believed 
that if he followed this course of action, it would bring total restoration and reconciliation to his relationship, to his career, his entire life. Time would go by and we'd sit down in my office and he'd come in and I'd ask him how he was doing. He was doing well. And, 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 and every now and then I'd have to recalibrate him just a bit and he'd take off again. He'd come back after a couple months and we'd sit down and talk again. And then he would, he would tell me what was going on and I would tell him something else to do and he would go and he would do exactly what I would tell him to do. He would obey what I would tell him to do to the T. And sometimes when we would check back in, he would go above and beyond what I had expected for him to do. Months went by and God healed and restored things in his life. Got a phone call a couple weeks ago. He says, Greg, hey, man, I'm, I'm leaving town, and I want to see you. I want to see you before I leave. And so we arranged it. He comes by the house, and I see him pull up my driveway, and I walk out of the, my driveway. And before I can get out from, from my porch and down to the ground, he meets me at the crest of the steps, and he just grabs me, hugs me, and just holds me. And it was uncomfortable. Because <laughs> guys, you know, you know, we want to hug and everything, but you know, hug me and then let's, you know, let's, let's back off, you know. But he just held me, man. He was holding me like this, and then I heard him sobbing. And then I don't know, man, you know, I, there's something there's something when a man cries, it just moves me to tears. So now I'm standing there crying and sobbing. We're still embracing. I'm thinking, man, anybody around here watching this. But then when, when, when we broke our embrace and he stepped back, I noticed that his wife had come out of the car. And she was standing there, and her face was wet with tears, too. And then this is what that young man told me. He said, Greg, he said, listen, over the last few years, you have been a mentor to me, a counselor, a friend, a brother, a pastor, and a father. He said, I don't have any words to express to you what your, your deposit, your investment in my life has meant to me. If you hadn't have allowed the Lord to use you to step in, I don't believe that my life would be whole right now. And I, I was looking at his wife, and she was nodding in affirmation. And here's what I told him. I said, man, you're the one that did all the work. I said, all I did was, was help you set the course. You were the one that did the work. You were the one that obeyed everything that I believe God had given me for you to do above my expectations. And then I turned to his wife and I said, I said and you trusted him enough to allow him to do it. I said, now look at the outcome. God has healed you. He's restored your relationship. He's, he's placed you in a community of young families where you've had impact on their relationship. And he has rescued you from the clutches of the enemy. And now you can, you can continue a heritage of righteousness that will pass on to your kids and your kids' kids. A legacy 
I was so proud, man. As I was preparing for this sermon today, I was thinking back on that story. It just made me smile, brought me joy. And I can't help but to think that that's the way the Apostle Paul approached this letter. As he sat down, he penned this letter as a way of encouragement to the church. I could just see Paul beaming, brimming with joy. I could see how when he sat down addressing this letter, he wrote it to the entire church. And here's what he was saying. He's saying, listen. You together, you the collective, you have become my beloved. I've watched you grow. I've watched God do some things in your life, and it's brought me closer to you. You're my beloved. And so that's where we're going to pick up today with Paul's encouragement to the church. We're going to start in verse 12, and then we're going to work our way up. Paul says, you're my beloved. And then he says, therefore, my beloved. That's how he starts the verse, therefore. And if you look at the word therefore, I really believe that it's a reference that goes all the way back up to the fifth verse at the beginning of the hymn that we, we talked about last week. The hymn that, where Paul said, have the mind of Christ amongst yourselves. That's yours in Christ Jesus. What was the mind of Christ? Christ lived in obedience to his father. He said, have a Christ-like mind. Then he goes on. He says, listen, you've obeyed me in my absence, in my presence. He said, and, and much more now in my absence. So in other words, he's saying, in a much greater way, man, when I'm gone, you've done some things that you didn't even do when I was with you. You've taken this, this thing to a whole new level, he says. And so it's crystal clear to me that the values that I taught you, that I instilled in you, they're still in place. And I know those values are right because I can see God's work in your life. He's working in you. This, this single-minded, this Christ-like mind, this Christ-like culture doesn't just happen. It's intentional. I'm hearing how you're interacting with each other and the world around you and how you're conducting yourselves in a way that reflects Christ-likeness and Christ-like character. He says, you've obeyed me when I'm with you, but now even much more in my absence, he said, but I have a charge for you. And here's the charge. Work out this salvation that you've been given with fear and trembling. Work it out. Now, I mentioned to you last week, Paul, when he's talking about salvation here, isn't talking about justification, who we are in Christ Jesus when we embrace the gospel. He's talking about the ongoing process of sanctification. He's talking about this, this continued transformation as we evolve in our relationship with Christ. And he's speaking to the entire church, and he's speaking in, in what's called 
a present tense imperative. And so here's what he's really saying. He's saying, listen, in fear and with fear and trembling together, continue, present tense, keep on, continue working out your salvation. What's he saying? That word to work means to carry out to completion. It means to finish. Paul was literally saying, I want you to carry out this mission that has began in you until it's complete. So how should we do this? With fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Those words, fear and trembling, simply mean take this thing seriously, man. Why? Because it's Christ that's at work in you. He's working within you individually and then collectively together. Take this work seriously. It's his will. It's his work. It's his desire that he's fulfilling in your life. He's doing it in you. He's the one that's working right now in you. Here's why. Because he wants to show the world something that they'll never be able to see if it's not for the church. Something that can only be seen through the body of Christ as, as, as you live out Christ and life in Christ together as a community of followers. And here's what that is. The hope of salvation. The hope of salvation. And here's Paul's point to the church. He says, God has placed salvation in your community through you. You're the church. You're, you're the family of God. You're God's family on mission. It's God's mission. What's that mission? To take Christ to the world. To reconcile the world back to himself through the work of Christ being revealed in you. That's the purpose. That's the mission. That's why Christ came. I don't want you to miss that. The church, the family of God, on mission with him. Our father working his will in us, his desire in us to reconcile the world to himself through the church, his family. And Paul says, listen, you ought to take that seriously. The thought of that responsibility should cause you fear and trembling. The church is the evidence of the heart of Christ it's the outward work, the open display of Christ's heart to the world. God wants to reveal Jesus in us to the world around us. That's the message. So how does this work? How does it work? 
It works through the way that we live our lives. I want you to go back up to verse 1. We're going to take a look at verse 1. Start to unpack that and show you what I mean. Show you what Paul was getting to. He writes, so, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. All of these statements are first-class conditional statements. And here's what that means. It's, it's not a question if. It really is a statement of fact. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is, any comfort of love, and, and we know that there is, any participation in the Spirit, and we know that there is, any affection and sympathy, and we know that there is because we're living it out. He says, I want you to complete my joy. How, Paul? How do we make your joy complete? By being of the same mind. What mind? The mind of Christ. By exhibiting the comfort from love. What love? The love you have for your God and for each other. By being in full accord, in one mind or with one mind. Full accord means agreement. Agreement with who? Agreement with the Holy Spirit. Then he continues. He says, and here's what I, here's what I don't want. I don't want you to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. Selfish ambition means to try to get ahead in life at the expense of others. He says, I don't want you to do that. Because in the end, what that will prove to you and for you is that it will, you will end up with, with emptiness. It will prove to be no value. It will be empty glory. That's what that word conceit means in the Greek. Empty glory. It's like trying to magnify or puff up something that has no value. That's what Paul is saying. It's like fool's gold. You ever seen fool's gold? You ever handle it? How many, how many, seen, how many of you seen fool's gold? Fool's gold looks like gold. It shimmies like gold or shimmers like gold. It's kind of heavy like gold. It glitters like gold, but fool's gold is not gold. It has no lasting value. I remember back in the 80s when, when uh, you know, Rocky was out. I don't know which one it was. There's about 100 of them. But, uh, but, I, but it was the one where he had to fight Mr. T. You remember Mr. T? Mr. T had all that gold hanging on his neck. Now, I can imagine that he probably, that was probably real gold, right? But then everybody caught the, the Mr. T craze, and you, you, had, you had people walking around 
with Mr. T starter sets. You know that that stuff that was hanging off their neck wasn't gold. But they had an ambition to be something or to do something that in the end is just vain glory. It's just empty. Because it's worthless. So that's the point Paul is making here. He's saying, listen. I don't want you to try to fulfill your own goals or your own selfish ambition. Take the focus off the things in your life that will end up giving you nothing, leaving you with nothing, that don't have lasting value. And then in verse 4, he says this, instead, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. That's the turn. This, this verse is interesting. Because originally, in the original manuscripts, the words only and also aren't included, especially in the older text, the older manuscripts. They were added. I don't know if it was for readability or because somebody figured that it needed to be added because maybe somebody was having a bad day and didn't put it in. But in the older text, the words also and only or only and also weren't included. And if you read this verse without those two words contained, it changes the whole complexion of the verse. Listen to this. This is what the verse sounds like without it. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but to the interest of others. And I'd say this, reading it this way, reading this verse this way, brings the text more in line with the hymn that we introduced last week that began in verse 5 through verses 11. Because, see, Jesus looked only on the interest of others. And we know that's true because, because right in the heart of that hymn, the Bible says that he emptied himself. He didn't partially empty himself. He didn't partially lay down his, his own interest. He fully emptied himself, laying down his rights and his privileges for the interest of others. So the Bible says to us, so Paul is encouraging the church. He says, he says, since you have this mind of Christ, I want you to continue exhibiting that kind of behavior because if you live with each other in this way, you will make my joy complete. That's the message. So what does that look like for us today? What are the marks of a community that God really uses? What are the foundational values that God places within a, a church family that he wants us to use as we're on mission with him? I think verse 1 spells it out for us. Here are the four marks. The first is this. Christ is our courage. We get our courage from him. Our courage comes from being united in relationship with Jesus. 
He's our conquering king. And when we're weak, we can find our courage in him, in Christ. His presence in our life gives us power and authority. We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. He is our hope. That, that courage extends to the way that we treat each other as we give it to one another. Have you, have you considered maybe that, that the trial that you're going through right now is not really for you? Have you considered that maybe God is working something out in you, but it's, it is for your benefit, but it really is for the benefit of someone else? Listen, listen, God is at work in you, working to will of his good pleasure, but a lot of times there's a greater cause than what's going on in you. God wants to use your life as a testimony for someone else or to someone else. I can't tell you how many times that was going through a struggle. Someone comes to me with their testimony of overcoming the same trial, and God used that testimony to give me courage. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm submitting to you that if you're going through something, God wants to use that thing that you're going through to when you get on the other side of it. He wants to use it to where you can encourage others who may be going through the same thing. He's at work in us for his good pleasure. So that's the first mark. The second mark is this. God's love is our comfort. Listen, God's love for us and to us is unconditional. The Bible says he demonstrated his love to us by sending his son, his only son, to die on the cross to pay the ransom for our sins. He held nothing back. He offered his best. He gave us and showed us his love. And so the mark of a, of a family on mission is that kind of Christ-like love being exhibited towards one another. And as we continue to extend this kind of, of Christ-like love to each other, the more we do it, the more we'll experience the comfort of God's love with each other, from each other. And here's the point. The world around us will see it. They'll take notice Jesus said, I believe it's in John 13, 35. He says, by this all men will know that you're my followers because you have love one for another. His love is our comfort. And we don't talk about this much anymore. But God loves us so much one day he's coming back to get us. Let me, let me say that again for those of you who are awake. God loves us so much that one day he's coming back for us. 
He's coming back for us. And so Paul says, Paul says, listen, encourage, comfort one another with these words, with that knowledge. That knowledge should bring comfort. God's love, God's love is our comfort. The third mark, the family on mission, is that we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our guide. He's our leader. When he comes into our lives, the Bible says that he, the comforter, will lead us and guide us into all truth. And just as Jesus did when when we surrender to the authority of the Holy Spirit in our life, he will lead us too. Jesus submitted to the authority of the Holy Spirit. He submitted to his leadership, set the pattern for us so that we can see the benefit of submitting to the authority of the Holy Spirit and following the pattern of Jesus. Number four, sympathy and affection rule our relationships. Listen, as we submit in humility to one another for the sake of unity, with tenderness of heart and compassion, when we allow tenderness and mercy and compassion to govern our culture, we'll not only receive the grace of God in our lives, but we'll also experience giving that out and receiving it from others. Just as God has shown mercy to us, we're to show mercy and affection to others should rule our relationships. And the way that that works itself out is in this way. And worship team, you can come forward. It's the final mark of family on mission. We don't feel the need to exalt ourselves. We don't fight for our own position. We don't have to defend our rights. We don't feel the need to defend ourselves. When we're in a family on mission, we practice the values that we receive from God in our relationships with one another, always considering the needs of others above our own, just like Jesus did. And then just as Jesus gave his life to reach the lost as a family of God on mission, we do the same. And here's the point. When we're a family on mission, on God's mission, we'll find everything that we need in him and in each other. Let me close with this. We, the church, are the evidence of the heart of Christ in our world. We're the outward expression of his transforming power at work in us. We're an open display of his heart to the world, the church. God wants to reveal Jesus in us to the world.
That's what he's called us to. And it's this kind of family that God says, man, I'm pleased with. I'm proud to call them my kids. I'm proud to call them my children. Why? Because they look just like my son. You might be here today and you don't know Jesus. You've heard of him, but you don't know him. You've known people that have had relationship with him, but you don't know him for yourself. Maybe you came here today and you didn't even know why you came, but now, the Spirit of God is tugging at your heart. Come be part of my family. Come be part of my family. I'm inviting you into covenant relationship with me. Come. I'd like for you to stand to your feet. We're about to take communion here in a few minutes. And even if you're a follower of Christ, if the Lord is speaking to you today, maybe some unresolved issues or maybe some hidden sin in your life, maybe some hidden sin in your life. God wants to to meet you right now in this time. He has the grace to forgive and restore. All you have to do right now where you're at is confess. 1 John 1 and 9 tells us that, that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You do not have to leave this sanctuary today with unfinished business. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ and maybe you're not bold enough to come up front, all you have to do right there where you're at from your heart you say, Lord Jesus, I know that, that I have no relationship with you and I want relationship with you. I'm asking you, Lord, to come into my heart. Cleanse me of my sins. Forgive me of every unrighteous thing that I've ever done. I embrace your Lordship. I surrender to you as Lord of my life. And if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, I want to welcome you to the family of God.